The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. So if you haven't, I do invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, Today we're simply going to be continuing on in our series we started two weeks ago called Family Meals. And in this series we're simply asking how does God provide all that we need to persevere. Could anybody use a little perseverance in their faith right now? And God has promised in his word, we read about it all throughout Revelation last year, he's promised to provide everything that we need, and so we've just been asking how. And what we've seen, big picture, is that God provides everything we need through the means of grace. Our God is a God of means. In other words, he loves to work his power through through things. He provides us with the sanctifying, sustaining grace that that helps our faith, that empowers our faith to persevere. He provides that through means like his word, through means like the table, through means like prayer and praise. These things are like meals. Most of us eat, most likely, three meals a day in order to sustain our physical Life, likewise, God's means of grace are like spiritual meals meant to sustain our spiritual life, and they are family meals. Family meals. They're meals that we eat together when we gather, like right now, online, when we gather together as a faith family, as a local church. I'm not saying, quick caveat, I'm not saying that God does not feed our faith as individuals. Of course he does. And next week and in the coming weeks, we'll talk about how even that is actually connected to the church community. But in this series, our focus is on how God feeds us, feeds our faith in gathered community, physical and digital. Our focus is on family meals. But here's the deal. Before we can actually get into the specifics of the meals, like how specifically does God feed us through his word, through the table, through prayer and praise? That's where we're going in the coming weeks. But before we can ask about the specifics of the meals, we have to first look at what it means to be a faith family. If these are family meals, then to eat them, we need to be a part of the Family, we've got to talk about what that means to be a part of a family, a part of a local church. As Brad said last week, and so graciously passed up and passed along to me again this week, we get to talk about the sexy subject of church membership. Now, do not tune me out. Okay, like, I grew up in a tradition where membership and church membership, being church family, like, it was talked about all the time. And I hated it. It felt like this constant guilt trip just meant to like beef up our numbers so we could have bragging rights that we're the biggest church around. And besides, anytime it was brought up, I thought, I'm already a member, so this doesn't even apply to me. And to be 100% honest, I questioned whether or not the concept of church membership was biblical in the first place. Maybe you feel the same way. So let me start out by saying, If you are not a member of this church, or of any church for that matter, I am not targeting you this morning to guilt you like a salesman. I'm trying to shepherd you like a pastor. I I want to show you what Scripture says 
Not what I think. That's not my job. My job is to reduce my own opinion as much as humanly possible and simply proclaim the truth that's here. That's the only way I've got any authority at all. I am an authority on nothing. God is an authority on everything. My goal every week is to shepherd you from this word. I want you to see what this scripture says about belonging to a local church, about church membership and why it matters. And... If you are already a member of Shades Valley Community Church, this is still for you. Because I'm willing to bet that biblical membership is totally different than what you think. It was for me when God began unfolding these truths. And here's the deal. If we will see and believe and live the Bible's vision of church membership, it will radically change our lives lives. I'm still very much in process. I am not living fully into this vision yet. Lord, help us all to do so. This will radically change our lives. It will actually church membership. I know something that sounds so mundane, so secondary to the Christian life. It will actually be a means of sustaining our faith. Church membership itself is a means of grace. Don't believe me? It's a means of grace. In a way, It is the first family meal that leads to all others because we must first be a member within the family. So, this morning, I just want to ask and then attempt to answer three questions. What, how, and why? What, how, and why? So, question number one, what? What is church membership? The very word membership tends to drum up specific ideas in our heads, so things like belonging to a voluntary organization or getting some services provided to us. I'm a member of Costco. There's a service provider provides me with services. Membership in our mind is this optional thing that people do when they want to be a part of a common interest group or receive certain services. But the deal, when we talk about it in relation to the church, the church, believe it or not, contrary to the way that many churches function and operate, the church is not a service provider. Nor is it a religious common interest group. It's actually not even a voluntary organization that you can just choose to be a part of. That's not how the Bible talks about being a member of a church at all. And yes, the Bible does talk about it. A lot, just not how we expect. An easy place for us to start is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that you heard read earlier. We're just going to skim a couple of things here. We're not even going to talk about the main point that Paul's driving at in 1 Corinthians 12. I will go on and admit that, but he has a lot to say here that bears in minds and brings to the forefront truths about what it means to belong to a local church. So look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body, he's talking about a physical human body right here, for just as the body is one and has many members. Everybody just rolled their eyes at me because they're like, oh, so that's where he's going to pull the word member. That's, That's where the word comes from. We roll our eyes because we've been thinking about church membership in a completely different way. Let the Bible reset it for you. Just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. This is where we, the church, get the word member from. It's why we use it. So this is what's got to define it. And right here, it is not talking about a voluntary membership in a 
a social club. It's describing members of a body. The Apostle Paul says, just like your physical body has members, fingers, eyes, toes, internal organs, heart, mouth, just like it has all of those, he says, so also it is with Christ. Christians are individual members of the body of Christ. We've been united to Christ by faith. He is the head. That's what Colossians 1.18 says. He is the head, and we have been united to him as members of his body, the church. We know that's how Paul's using it. That's how he concludes. Look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. You, that's plural. He is not looking at you as an individual and going, you are the body of Christ. No, you're a member of the body of Christ. You all are the body of Christ. And individually, now he looks at you individually, members of it. Just like individual members of a physical body are bound together in one body, so it is with the church. This is what we are talking about when we talk about church membership. And Scripture has a lot to say about this. Jonathan Lehman, he's got this great little book on church membership. I know this is what you all want to read like before you go to bed at night. It's a small one. It's just entitled Church Membership. If you have more questions, it's a great place to start. But in his book, he says this, when you open your Bible, stop looking for signs of a club with its voluntary members. Look instead for a Lord with his bound together people shades that you will find everywhere you will find the people bound to christ by faith are also bound to one another within this thing that we call the church and you will find them sacrificing for christ in the church you will find them in chains for christ in his church you will find them dying for christ in his church You don't do any of that for a voluntary social club or service provider. I'm not going to jail for Costco. Not dying for it either. You don't do these things for a voluntary social club or a service provider. You do it for a kingdom, for a king and and his people. You do it as as a sheep in the shepherd's flock. You do it as a stone in the Lord's temple. You do it as a member of God's own household, as a member of his family. You you live and breathe and die for your family. You do it as a member of his body. All of those things I just mentioned, flock, temple, body, all of it, family, those are all metaphors that the Bible uses to describe what it means to belong to Jesus and to be a part of his people, a member of his church at its most basic level that's what church membership is it's saying it's you saying publicly i belong to jesus i'm with jesus therefore i automatically go with his body is that not what 1 Corinthians 12, 12 said? For just as the body is one, it has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so also it is with Christ. When you attach yourself to Christ, you attach yourself to his body. At its most basic level, that's what church membership is. It's you saying, I belong to Jesus. But that's not all church membership is. It does involve that personal aspect. It's me saying, I belong to Jesus. But there's more. There is a communal and a global aspect to church membership as well. 
And here's the deal, Shades. A lot of people never move beyond the personal. Okay? Some of you, I'm about to try and track out a thought pattern I think you've been having so far. A lot of people, they say, I belong to Jesus. So that makes me a member of his body. And when they say that, when I say that, when you say that, when, when people say that, they are thinking of the body of Christ as the church universal. The church global. The church throughout the whole world. The Bible does talk this way about the body of Christ. It can talk about the church global throughout the entire world. We just talked about Colossians 1.18 that spoke of Christ as the head of his body, the church. It's talking about the church universal, global, worldwide. This is as far as many people go. They say, I personally am a Christian. That makes me a member of the global church. And then if I want to be a member of the local church, I can do that. That's kind of this optional, secondary thing. And that's the direction that many of us think about church membership. Global to local. Scripture moves in the opposite direction stay with me right here scripture moves in the opposite direction scripture says that because i'm a member of the local church therefore i am a part of the global church that's what paul is doing right here in first corinthians 12 in first corinthians 12 when paul uses this metaphor of the body he is not talking about the church global the church word worldwide he is talking about the local church in corinth you can know that a couple of different ways the first and easiest way to see it is that the head in first corinthians 12 is not christ it's just another part of the body because he's talking about this local church that has leaders that are representative of christ here elders who serve as the head you can tell that he's talking about the local church right here because what he's actually talking about with them all being different parts of the body is how they've all been gifted differently by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works his power through them in different ways and they need each other right there on the local level to serve one another, to love one another, to disciple one another, to push one another towards Jesus. Paul can write to the Corinthians treating them as a part of the global church. He's not a local member there. He's treating them as a part of the global church. And he can write to them, treating them as a part of the global church because they are a part of the local church there in Corinth. If they weren't, he wouldn't write to them. He wouldn't treat them as a part of the global church. Do you see how that works? It moves in this direction. Scripture moves in the opposite direction that we normally think of. Scripture moves from the local to the global because I'm a member of the local church, therefore I'm a member of the global church. It's, you could look at it this way. It's because I'm a member of an immediate family that I'm a part of an extended family. It doesn't work the other way. My immediate family, that, imagine me showing up at a family reunion and being like, yeah, I belong with all you people. And they're like, okay, prove it. What, what immediate family do you belong to? I'm like, none feel like you're not a part of this family my immediate family vouches for me says yeah regrettably so but he's with us they vouch for me they communally affirm what i confess personally 
I say I belong to Jesus. And they say, yeah. Yeah, you do. This is the communal aspect of church membership. And it is assumed everywhere in the New Testament. Anytime someone confesses faith in Christ, that faith is affirmed by their local church community. That word affirmed right there, that's a really important word for me. Please hear me. I am not saying that the local church makes people Christians. Okay, I'm not saying, but I am saying that the local church is responsible for affirming people's claim to be Christian. And they're responsible for that because of the global aspect of church membership. To claim to be a Christian is to claim to be a representative of Christ to the world. There's a global aspect to this. To claim to be a Christian is to claim to be a representative of Christ to the the world. You're claiming to be an ambassador of his kingdom. That's how Paul will actually put it to the Corinthians when he writes 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal to us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors, we're representatives of the kingdom of God. An ambassador represents a king and its kingdom. But here's the deal, Shades, you can't just decide to be an ambassador. Ambassadors must be authorized by the king and the kingdom that they represent. I cannot just go to India and declare myself an ambassador for the United States of America. It doesn't matter that I'm a, I'm, I'm a citizen. I have to be authorized. How does Christ authorize ambassadors of his kingdom? Is there some kind of embassy or something? As a matter of fact, yes. We call it the local church. The local church is an embassy of the kingdom of Christ. Think about it. What is an embassy? An embassy is an outpost of a country or a kingdom in a foreign land. In the United States, we've got embassies all over the world, outposts of our country. Represent us to the world and bring the news of the world back to us. Is this not what the church is? We are an outpost of a kingdom. Yes, a kingdom that's not here yet, but a kingdom that is coming. We are an outpost of a kingdom. And from this embassy of Christ, we commission ambassadors. For that's what Christ authorized the local church to do. You can see it clearly if you look at just the only two places that Jesus talks about the church. Jesus Christ in Scripture only uses the word church twice. And if you look at it both times, he's talking about the local church's responsibility to authorize ambassadors. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. You'll be familiar with this passage if you grew up in church. There, Peter makes his famous confession. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Peter confesses, you are the Son of God. Christ. And how does Jesus respond to him? He says, your confession is correct. And then he says this in Matthew 16, 18, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus says he will build his church on people like Peter and their confession of Christ. Not that he will build his church specifically on just the person of Peter or on any specific person. Not that he will just build his church on the confession that Peter uttered, but on people who make this confession. 
He'll build his church on confessors. He says, I'm going to build my church on a people who confess this truth, this gospel, this reality about me. And then Jesus says that he will give to those people, to that church, the keys of the kingdom of heaven for binding and loosing. What does that mean? I think. I think it means that he is authorizing the church to affirm people's confessions of Christ as true or false, just like he just did for Peter. He's giving the church the keys to open and close the embassy door of the kingdom. I think that because of the only other place where Jesus uses the word church. It's just two chapters later. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 17. There Jesus is explaining what to do when you have someone who says, they confess, they confess the words of Peter. They confess that they believe in him. But their life completely rejects that as a reality. What do you do? Jesus says this is what you do. He says ultimately if this person refuses to repent, they refuse to listen to the church, then let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Recognize those words? Jesus is saying, if someone claims to believe in me but does not follow me, you are authorized to use the keys of the kingdom. Binding and loosing. You're authorized to not affirm their confession. Let them be to you as a Gentile, he says. That's someone who's not a part of the people of God. We actually see this exact thing happen and unfold in 1 Corinthians. If you go back and you read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there Paul instructs the Corinthian church to remove a member from among them because of unrepentant sin. He authorizes and tells them to exercise the keys of the kingdom. He says, remove that member. He won't repent. Remove him. How do you remove someone unless they're in? How do you put them out unless they're in? In, in the New Testament, when it comes to church membership, there is a definite out and an in. And everybody knows who's out and who's in. I don't know that they were checking roll and keeping lists. That's a lot of people's objection when you start talking about church membership is biblical. They're like, I don't think they had membership classes and I don't think that they like kept roles and stuff like that. They may not have. I don't know, but they knew who was out and who was in. When Paul tells them that they all suffer together and rejoice together, that they're to care for one another and love one another, they know who one another is. Church membership in the New Testament wasn't just about a personal confession. It was about a communal affirmation of those who globally represented Jesus. This is what church membership is. I personally confess I belong to Jesus. The church communally affirms that I belong to Jesus, authorizing and equipping me to globally represent Jesus. That's what church membership is. That's the what, but we still don't have the full picture of church membership yet because we don't just need to ask what, we also need to ask how. How do you become a member of a church? This is our second question. How do you become a member of a local church? We've already started to answer this question, and different churches have different processes and things like that, but I want us to at least see what is, 
What's the biblical baseline here? How do you become a member of a local church according to the, the Bible? We've already started to answer the question, but we need more details. And again, we get them by looking at the personal, communal, and global aspects of church membership. Becoming a member of a church begins on the personal level because it begins with repentance and faith. It begins with conversion. The Holy Spirit of God, you don't make yourself into a church member. The Holy Spirit of God opens your eyes, like it says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see the cross not as atrocious, but as beautiful. You see beauty in his blood that was shed for you in your place, for your sin, that you might be reconciled to God. Get him as your joy forever. And you turn, you turn from treasuring a life of sin and self. You turn from that that's repentance turning from you turn from treasuring a life of sin and self to treasuring christ that's faith repentance and faith paul in first corinthians 12 says this is how you become a part of the body of christ look at verse 13 first corinthians 12 and verse 13 for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body jews greeks slaves free and all were made to drink of one spirit paul says regardless of race Regardless of social standing, we all become a part of the body of Christ the same way, by the work of the Holy Spirit of God to bring about repentance and faith. Nobody naturally repents. Nobody naturally believes in Jesus. We all naturally embrace ourselves as our greatest treasure and king. The Holy Spirit of God opens our eyes to see Christ as true beauty, true treasure. The same Holy Spirit baptized all of us into the same body. And now, Paul says, he didn't just baptize us all into this body. He now fills us like a drink to empower us to serve one another, love one another, disciple one another towards Jesus. That's that's everything that Paul goes on in the rest of the chapter to explore. But right here, the point is that becoming A member of the church starts out personal, but immediately becomes communal. It starts personal, personal repentance and faith, trust in Christ, but it immediately becomes communal right here. Paul's assumption in verse 13, his assumption is that when the Holy Spirit brings you to faith, he simultaneously is bringing you into the church, baptizing you into the body. That's the language he uses. The Spirit brings you to faith. He is simultaneously bringing you into the body of Christ. This is why the word baptism is used right here to describe what the Spirit does to you personally and what the church does to you communally. The Spirit baptizes you, immerses you into a relationship with the triune God. You know the Father through the Son by the work of the Spirit. He has baptized you, immersed you personally into a relationship with God. And the church communally affirms that with water baptism, saying, yes, indeed, we affirm that you have been immersed into a relationship with the triune God. This is why the word baptism came to be used to talk about what the Spirit is doing as well as what the church is doing. Because they go together. You see this all throughout the New Testament. Just Go back to Acts chapter 10, for instance. Go back to Acts chapter 10 later today and read about where Peter shares the gospel with the Gentiles for the first time. And when Peter sees 
The Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit of God. They come to faith. They're baptized in the Spirit. What's his automatic response? Acts chapter 10 and verse 47. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Peter's assumption is that when you are baptized into a relationship with the triune God by the Spirit, the church immediately affirms that as soon as it can. Because you're coming into relationship with Christ and simultaneously coming into His body. So in Acts 10, they baptize these new believers, not making them Christians, but affirming that they are Christians. And that's the pattern all throughout the New Testament. You're baptized by the Spirit and baptized by the church. Personal confession, communal affirmation, which leads to global identification. In other words, the rest of the church recognizes you as a part of the global body of Christ because you've been affirmed by the local body of Christ. You're in. You know you're in. The local church says you are in. And you're recognized by the global church because you've been affirmed by the local church. You can see this pattern throughout the New Testament. Look, look especially in Paul's letters where he greets churches and commends people he's sending to them. Look at like at the end of Romans, Romans 16, where he commends uh, Phoebe to the church in Rome. This is how the church global is going to accept Phoebe into their ranks as one of their own because she's been affirmed by a local church. It's the pattern all throughout the New Testament. This is, uh, for those of you that grew up in the same tradition as me, uh, Baptist, this is where uh, the church letter comes from. Are you familiar with this? The church letter. When you're a member, you have a church letter. The entire idea is that the early church sent letters to other churches when they sent members to new churches to be like, yeah, they're a Christian. And that's the idea within Baptist churches. Like when you change and you go to a new church, the old church sends you a letter to be like, yeah, they're a Christian. It's where that entire concept comes from. Different churches do this different ways. Different churches affirm your belief, yes, through baptism, or maybe they take you through a membership class or a membership interview, but they're all essentially doing what they see the New Testament doing. They're affirming, yes, you are one of us. Shades, this happens with every Christian in the New Testament. You cannot find a solo Christian in the New Testament. C.S. Lewis said that the New Testament knows nothing of solitary religion. Like, like people who claim to be a part of the global church but don't belong to a local church, they don't exist in the New Testament. That, that, that's a category the early church wouldn't even understand. They wouldn't understand the idea of someone who claims to be a Christian who's not baptized. It just, it just makes no sense to them whatsoever. These things are, are a, a package deal. There's no buying one. It's not a smorgasbord. It's, no, it's not a buffet of choose your own Christianity. These things all go together if you tried to tell the early church yeah i'm a part of the global church i believe in jesus but i'm not a member of a local church that would make as much sense to them as me saying to you i'm in the nba but i'm not on a team like like it's being a part of the smaller thing that makes you part of the bigger thing like like it doesn't make sense the other way around or use the same illustration as earlier, it would be like you saying that you're a part of an extended family but not belonging to an immediate family. That's not how it works. 
You're born into an immediate family. That makes you part of an extended family. And in the New Testament, you're born again and brought into an immediate family of the local church. That's a part of the global church. How do you become a member of the church? You personally repent and trust in Jesus. The local church communally affirms your confession through baptism, identifying you to the world as a part of the global church. That's how you become a member of the church. Yes, it shades. There's a little bit more to it. Yes, we have a membership class and we sit down with you. These are all ways that we want to affirm you've been baptized and we want to affirm that you do understand the gospel and believe in Jesus. But when you become a member of Shades, that's this body looking at you and saying, you claim to belong to Jesus. And we say, yes. Yeah, you do. You're with him and you're with us. This is how you become a member of the church. We still don't have the full picture of membership because we don't just need to ask what and how. Finally, we need to ask why. Why does membership matter? You may, up to this point, be like, okay, Jonathan, I see what you're saying, but I don't see what difference it makes. I, I personally am not technically a member of Shades, but I come regularly. I feel like family. I get benefit from the preaching of the word, from the receiving of communion. I, I get benefit from praying and, and singing together. I mean, y'all even let a lot of non-members serve in a lot of different capacities. And I will say that all of that is true, but there are depths to all of that and more that you're missing that will only be found in membership. I say something very similar to couples who talk to me who are living together, but they're not married. They, uh, they tell me, Jonathan, I don't see the difference that marriage makes. I mean, like, we live together, we sleep together, we share financial responsibilities, we, we love each other, and I will say to them, all of that is true, but there are depths to all of that and more that you're missing that will only be found in marriage. Holly and I, have been married for 17 years today. Aww. Hey. <laughs> Applaud her. <laughs> when we were dating, when we first started dating, I remember reaching for her hand for the first time. And y'all, like, my heart was, like, about to come out in my chest and my palms were sweaty and my, like, it was, it was crazy. But I did it. Here we are 17 years later. And here's the deal. I still love to hold her hand. But y'all, I couldn't make my heart beat like that, reaching for her hand, if I wanted to. I, I couldn't make my palms sweat. I couldn't get nervous. I couldn't get the butterflies or anything like that. And when she holds my hand now, it means infinitely more. Because there are 17 years of her seeing everything and saying, I am still here and I am still with you and I'm going nowhere. 
There are depths that God has designed for you to experience in the context of a covenant relationship that can be experienced nowhere else. Without that covenant in place, Holly can walk anytime. That covenant sure makes it really hard for her to walk, which makes it easier for me to let my guard down. And she has seen everything and still loves me and shows me grace. Marriage is a covenant relationship, the depths of which can only be known by entering into the covenant. And church membership is likewise a covenant relationship. It's a covenant relationship because Christ's relationship with his church is a covenant relationship. In fact, the covenant relationship of marriage is meant to point to that. That's the deeper reality. Christ's relationship with his church is a covenant relationship. He loved his bride, Ephesians 5 tells us, and he gave himself up for her on the cross. He shed his blood of the new covenant, his covenant relationship with his church. Shades Valley, the church is in a covenant relationship with Christ, which means we have entered into a covenant relationship with one another. You've got in your bulletin as an insert Shades Valley's covenant of membership. That's our best job at trying to sum up what the New Testament teaches about being a part of a covenant community, of a, of a church. We are in a covenant relationship together, and the New Testament as an entirety describes why that matters. And it matters personally, it matters communally, and it matters globally. You saw that coming, right? We're going to run through these. First, membership matters personally. It matters to you as an individual. It makes a difference for you. Covenant community is a means of grace. was talking about it earlier. How community, that's what she was describing. Community is a means of grace in our lives. Covenant community is a means of grace that helps you to personally persevere. Do you ever struggle personally? Do you ever struggle to persevere? Like does the, does the enemy ever get you to doubt your faith because of your struggles or because of sin that you've fallen into or because of failures. There were, there were Corinthians in the church at Corinth who doubted whether or not they truly belonged to the body of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. This is what some of them were saying. I don't, I don't have the same spiritual gifts as that person over there. They're way more in tune with the Spirit than I am. Doubt my own faith. I must not belong to the body. And Paul says that would not make it any less a part of the body. There were Corinthians doubting that they belonged to the body specifically because they didn't have the same spiritual gifts as other church members. Glad I've never felt that way. Never seen someone who looked like they were more in tune with the Spirit than me that made me doubt my own faith. I'm being very sarcastic. Perhaps you've felt that exact thing before or a million other things that can make you doubt the genuineness of your faith. How is the authenticity of your faith going to be affirmed? How is Christ himself going to embrace you and affirm his love for you? Through what means will such great grace of an embrace from Christ come to you? Through the means of covenant community. Church membership matters because that is an entire Christian community looking at, you, looking at you and affirming your faith is real. That's an entire church 
looking at the evidence of your life. They know you. They walk with you. They pray with you. They cry with you. And not just individuals within the church, but the entire church, all of the leadership, all of the members look at you and say, we believe, we affirm that you belong to Jesus. Is that not what Paul himself is doing right here in 1 Corinthians 12? When he tells these doubting believers, your doubts don't make you any less a part of the body. Paul looks at these people who he knew, who he'd lived with before, who he taught, and as a means of grace, a means of God's grace in affirming their faith, Paul calls the entire Corinthian church to to be such a means of grace to these individual Christians doubting their faith. He says, no, don't make them doubt their faith. Affirm their faith. Look at verse 21. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. You who are stronger, this is how you should make those who are weak in their faith feel. They're indispensable. Affirm them. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Paul looks at those in Corinth who are boasting in their spiritual gifts, causing others to doubt whether or not they are even a part of the body. And he says, the Spirit's gifted you for the exact opposite purpose, not to tear down the body, but to build it up. You're to look at these members of the body and affirm their faith. Tell them that you, as strong as you look, you need them. You're less without them. That's something we say all the time at Shades. We are less without you. Everyone watch. We're less without you. That's what Grace was saying earlier. Tell them that they are indispensable, that you need them. Bestow honor on them is what Paul says. In verses 25 through 27, he says these members are to care for one another, suffer together, rejoice together, for we are the body of Christ to one another. We are, Christ works through us as his hands, as his arms to embrace one another and assure one another of his love. Feel the embrace of Christ through the embrace of his church. Shades, being a member, covenant community, it's a means of grace, a means that is meant to affirm you as part of the family of God. This is one of the reasons that we do membership at Shades. Not to beef up our numbers. Who cares about our numbers? We do membership not to beef up our numbers, but to beef up your faith by having an entire community look you in the eye and call you family. Am I saying that if you're not a member at Shades, then you're not family? No. I'm saying that if you're not a member, then you haven't let us affirm you as family. You've said that you belong to the church, but you've not let the church affirm you by saying, yes, you do belong. Being a member of a local church is a means of grace to affirm your faith, to help you personally persevere. Membership matters, and it matters personally. Second, membership matters communally. It matters communally because we don't just need the church to affirm us, but to warn us. Through membership, the church affirms the authenticity of our faith, yes, but it also warns us when it can no longer confirm the authenticity of our faith. 
This concept right here of church like this, it majorly grates against our culture. Our, uh, our culture is one, Western culture, our culture is one that prizes individual autonomy. Nobody gets to define me but me. And that includes spiritually. This culture is, is what has bred in our context among Christians, a culture of church shopping. Church shopping is the notion that I'll shop around, treating churches as providers of goods and services until I find the one that best suits my personal needs and supports my self-chosen spiritual path. Then I will purchase Here's the problem with that. I think that author and pastor Brett McCracken puts it best. He says that such church shopping will be a never-ending exhausting task because, he writes, within a church, something will always make me bristle. Something will always leave me feeling unseen, unheard, or uncomfortable. And just as we eventually grow tired of a trendy restaurant or favorite clothing brand because our tastes inevitably change, so we will eventually tire of a church that initially connects with our unique spiritual path, but then fails to sufficiently track with our evolving beliefs. So we keep shopping for that perfect fit church, or more likely, we give up the futile search entirely. Shades, that entire mindset is antithetical to the gospel. It's antithetical to the gospel because the gospel doesn't invite individual autonomy along the spiritual path. It, it gives us an identity of who we are and calls us to live into that. Again, Brett McCracken says it well. Christianity requires the submission of one's individual will to the lordship of Christ. It is impossible it is impossible to simultaneously assert the sovereignty of one's subjective spiritual path and the supremacy of Christ. Jesus calls us not to individualized, self-stylized spirituality, but to a faith in community, accountable to others. Christianity disembedded from the church is not really Christianity. It feigns to embrace Jesus while shunning his body. The gospel calls us not to follow our own path, but to follow Christ. And church membership is meant to guide us down that path and warn us when we leave it. Remember earlier when we talked about Matthew 16 and 18 and the keys of the kingdom and we talked about 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul tells the Corinthians to use those keys to remove an unrepentant brother from their, their membership. All evidence showed that that man was not following Jesus, so the Corinthians couldn't confirm that he was following Jesus. They couldn't confirm, they couldn't affirm his, his faith. When we see processes like that in Scripture, I think our reaction immediately is that seems rather mean. It seems rather harsh but that's not how paul if you read first corinthians 5 that's not how he sees it you read matthew 16 and 18 that's not how jesus sees it they see it as love they see it as a loving warning go, go read in both places for yourself the goal 
of removing a member from membership is to shake them and wake them to repentance. The goal is repentance, reconciliation, restoration. The goal of discipline is discipleship. This is why membership matters. It's a means, a means of God's grace. It's a means of accountability in our lives that constantly calls us to follow and submit to Christ. Question for you individually. Who holds you accountable to follow Jesus? Like, ask yourself that. Who holds you accountable to follow Jesus? Who will give an account for you one day before God? Who who guides you? Who corrects you? Another way of asking this question would be, who pastors you? We, we all have a pastor. Who is yours? Is your pastor a news source? Social media influencer? Friends? Politician? Political party? Who's discipling you about what is most important in life? And are they shepherding you towards Christ? We all have pastor or pastors in our life who is yours we are called by christ to be pastored in the context of the local church hebrews 13 and verse 17 obey your leaders and submit to them that is hard for me to read shades it's freaky for me to read i think it's hard for you to hear i guarantee it's harder for me to read And this isn't just talking about me. I'm not the only pastor here at Shades. There's Brad, there's John Mark, and we have a team of six lay elders, six lay pastors. There's nine of us. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Myself, the elder, we have to give an account an account. Local leaders, elders, pastors have been called by Christ to guide, to teach, to reprove, to correct in accordance with this word. Not our word, but in accordance with this word. 1 Peter 5.2 says that we are to shepherd the flock of God that is among us, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering. This is not about who's in charge and who's authoritarian and who's being domineering. We're not supposed to be domineering over those in charge, but being examples to the flock. We're to lead like Jesus led. Shades, this is why membership matters it matters that the pastors of this flock know who the flock is because i've got they've got we've got to give an account before almighty god i want to know who i've got to give an account for and it matters that you know who your leaders are that scripture calls you to let them guide you lead you pastor you doesn't mean that they're infallible and beyond questioning. We'll talk more about that next week. Not by any means. But do they pastor you? It matters that you know who your pastors are because you have been called to follow them insofar as they follow Christ. It matters that we know who we are in a covenant relationship with, who we are to lovingly hold accountable. Being a member of a local church is a means 
shades at this point in the sermon, we had technical difficulties causing several minutes of the audio to be lost. Uh, during those minutes, some of what I shared caused me to become quite emotional. And so I don't feel like I can authentically re-preach those moments. Uh, so I'm just going to talk you through what I said so that when the recording comes back in, you will have been able to follow along. So I was saying that being a member of a local church is a means of grace where we as a covenant community help one another persevere in the faith. Uh, membership matters, and it matters communally. Finally, membership matters globally. In other words, it matters for your witness. You know, we live in a world in which people increasingly only want to associate with those who are exactly like them. In the midst of that world, how are you going to bear witness to the barrier-breaking love of Christ unless it breaks through barriers in your own life? Uh, how, how are you going to show the world that Jesus unites people of every race and social class to himself unless you are united to Jesus and also with his people of every race and social class? And how are you going to show the world that Christ gives grace and forgiveness to those whom the world deems hardest to love unless you give grace and forgiveness to those who are hard to love? In other words, Shades, we cannot bear witness to Christ who loved the church and gave himself up for her if we do not likewise love his broken bride, the church. Membership matters globally. It matters for our witness. It matters personally, it matters communally, and it matters globally. It has mattered like this to me over the last two weeks. Shades on Wednesday, January the 13th, I hit a wall. A wall that made me get honest with myself, my wife, the staff, the elders, and now with you. I've never been secretive with you about the fact that I struggle with depression or take medication. And Shades, I confess to you that since the fall of 2019, I have been in the deepest season of depression I've ever experienced. And since I opened up about that two weeks ago, God has not ceased to pour out his grace upon me, and he has poured it out through you. The elders have come to my house to pray, to weep, and to wash my feet. Uh, last week, I didn't preach just to take that week to, to breathe. And during the service last week, the Lord led many of you to pray and to weep with Holly and I. And he led a few of the matriarchs of this church to wash my feet again. And all throughout the last two weeks, I have received many, many random texts from people who've had no idea what was going on but these texts in, in these texts they were speaking precise words of encouragement in the moments that my heart needed to hear them most it has felt like a conspiracy how how much these things have come at the right time saying the right thing it has all been a means of grace to me personally the lord has affirmed my faith through you he has embraced me through you quite literally. There have been people who have wrapped their arms around me and those arms have felt like the arms of Jesus. Uh, he has loved me through you, Shades. It's been a means of grace communally to me. Uh, the elders have worked on a plan to help me get back to a place of good mental health. Uh, there's loving accountability being put into place. There's care through counseling being put into place. And I have been overwhelmed by the grace that I have been shown. I've been overwhelmed 
as the elders have seen me in all of my weakness. And they've said to me, basically, Jonathan, we see you and we still want you. Shades, in a moment when many other churches would, would say, oh, we need to start looking for a new pastor, you have embraced me with grace and said, we want you. We want you. Shades, that's the voice of Jesus. That's the gospel. And we want you. Shades, that's the voice of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's Christ at work as a means of grace through his church. This is not, this is not about membership numbers. This is about what Christ has called us to and why he's called it to called us to it. It's been a means of grace personally for me, communally, and I am declaring, I'm declaring, Shades, write it down, January 24th, 2021, I'm declaring on this day that this will be a means of grace in my life globally, for I will use every breath that God gives me to testify to this world of the reality of his gospel because I have seen it through you. Shades, live it, and they will see it too. Membership matters because it's a means of grace. Whether here or another church, I pray that you will experience this means of Christ in just a fraction of the way that I have. I pray that you will experience what it's like to be sustained by family meals. My soul that has felt famished has been feasting. I pray that every one of you will know what it's like to have the people of Christ look at you and say, you are family. Father, I thank you for Shades Valley Community Church. I thank you that you have provided every every ounce of grace that's needed for us to persevere. Father, I pray, I pray for these people, your people. I'm just an under-shepherd. You're the shepherd. I pray that you would be their pastor and that you would help me and all of the other elders here by your grace to somehow shepherd them towards you. This world is flooded with pastors, with voices that would shepherd them anywhere but towards you. Father, I pray, I pray that being a member of this place would be a means of grace and shepherding them towards you and towards your son. That's what I want. I don't care about a job. I don't care about money or a salary. I don't care about any of that. I care about your people. I love your people. You love your people. 
God, please, I ask that we would be a people who are sustained by your grace. Let us be a family who feasts together through the good when we get to affirm one another's faith, through the hard when we have to warn one another that we're straying from the faith. Make us a means of grace. Make us the body of your son, Jesus Christ, to one another. We pray these things in his name and by the power of your spirit.